Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Hello. Nothing like Red Bull and resurrection. One feeds the flesh, the other the spirit. How can you lose? Well, we're glad you're here, and all the people that are wearing those beautiful blue shirts that say servant leader on the back, I want to ask you to stand, and I want to ask all of you to give them a big hand clap if you would. Thank you so much for leading. Thank you. Would not be possible to do this without you, and, and I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for the staff. Mosaic Church that has uh, labored very hard for the last year to get us into this place and to love and serve you. I'm grateful for them, and I'm grateful for all of you watching online. We began a series last week. Um, Well, we were supposed to. I, at the outreach a week ago uh, yesterday, I was playing basketball with a bunch of 16-year-olds. In between my ears, I was 25. My back disagreed. And I mean, I could not walk this time last week. I was out of it. I I am not old. I am not old. My back might be, but I ain't. And so anyway, all is well. It was uh, was a great time. And we kicked it off uh, last week. Pastor Jesse stepped in for me, my dear friend. Uh, we have we have the same father but a different mother. <laughs> he got the tan, I got the transparency, and so uh, it is so wonderful to to have this day to celebrate. We want to welcome all of you online. But anyway, we began this series called Offensive Love, and I had this thought a couple months ago when I was pondering what we would be preaching on in the months to come, and and I thought, you know, the love of God was twofold. It was offensive in that uh, he was pointing out to us, and, and think about this just for a moment, by dying on the cross, he was pointing out our sin. And anytime somebody points out a flaw or deficiency in our lives, we have a tendency to be offended. So in that, in that way, it was offensive that, that God looked from heaven and he pointed out our sin. Now, in our world, if someone were to come up to you and say you're a sinner and all that, we'd be offended, uh, and, and rightfully so. But when God did it, he was saying, I see the sin, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm not just going to tell you about it. And so oftentimes we're offended when someone points something out to us that we might want to change or need to change. The second type of offensive love is a love that is proactive. It'd be like basketball or or football where when you're on the offense, you have a chance to score. You're being offensive. You're you're being proactive. And so offensive love has those two meanings. And today I want to talk about an offensive love, a proactive love, a love that steps out and steps up when necessary. There was a man who worked near a park, and he worked in an office building, and He loved the outdoors, but he was confined to a desk 40 hours a week. So at lunchtime during the spring and summer and fall, when the weather permitted, he would always bring a lunch and take his lunch outside 
uh, to the park and go over in the park and sit, enjoy nature while eating lunch. On this particular day, he's walking through the park and he sees an elderly gentleman very, very much up in his years and he's, he's sitting, sitting on the park bench weeping. And uh, like most of us, he had this thought, um, God, I just only have an hour and I really want to spend some time by myself and I, I just want to enjoy nature. And, and, uh, but, but then on the inside of him, he felt pulled because he felt compassion for this elderly gentleman sitting alone in the park on this beautiful day crying his eyes out. And so he wrestled and he wrestled, do, do I go over and do I love on him? Do I ask him what's wrong? Because let's face it, most of us in this society today say, you know, I don't want to get involved. I, I just don't want to get involved. It's none of my business. The guy's crying. And how many of you know when you approach someone crying, it's a scary thing. You really don't know what's up, especially if it's a lady. And so, anyway, so, just kidding. Women, don't get mad at me. Stick around. It gets better. Anyway, so. So he, he, he decides, I'm going to be proactive. I'm going to have an offensive love. I'm going, to, I'm going to do something to reach this elderly gentleman. So he goes over and he says, sir, please forgive me. He said, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be presumptuous, but I, I, I saw you weeping, and my heart went out to you, and I just, I just came to ask you, you know, what's wrong? Why, why are you crying? And, and the gentleman just through sobs goes, you know, I, I'm so blessed. He said, I'm married to a woman that's, that's half my age. She's gorgeous, she's young, she's vibrant. And he said, uh, every morning I get up, she, she makes me eggs and pancakes, fresh fruit, and, and, and just freshly ground coffee. And the guy that had approached him is thinking, man, what's up? So he looks at him and said, well, then why are you crying? He said, and the old gentleman just kept on. He said, and at lunchtime, she makes homemade soup, homemade rolls. She cleans the house after that. And, and, and during the day, because I'm retired, she'll even watch ESPN with me. This guy's freaking out now. He's going, well, well, sir, look, let me ask you again. Why are you crying? The old gentleman, between sobs, says, and every evening she cooks me a gourmet meal with wine and my favorite dessert. And then we cuddle at night until... Until we go to sleep. And finally, this guy goes, look, look, help me out. Why are you crying? I can't remember where I live. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, it's, it's that kind of love that we celebrate today, a proactive love, that God became offensive, that he was so offensive that he looked down from heaven, he saw the sins of mankind, and he said something has to happen to change their situation. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 15, verse 9. It says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. So Jesus is clarifying, all I'm doing is what I have seen the Father do. As he has loved me, so I am loving you. He goes on to say, now remain in my love. Stay in my love. Now that's an interesting part of that verse. Remain in my love. Because we all know outside of love is fear. I'll get to that point in a minute. 
We, it, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. Now, fear may produce hate, but the reality is we are all afraid of proactive love, of being offensive in our love. And Jesus said, now, I want you, as I have emulated my Father and his love toward me, I want you to emulate my love toward you to other people. And it goes on, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And you'll see what his commands are here just in a minute. Just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. I have told you this. I have told you this. So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So the statement here is that if you want to experience joy in life... You have to possess love proactively in your life. You see, the reason that some people aren't happy isn't because the conditions of their life are not right. There are many wealthy people, people that have everything you could ever imagine that are without joy. Howard Hughes was a primary example of such a thing. Dying in his last days, one of the wealthiest men in the world at that time, dying in a a penthouse with all the curtains closed. You see, because the reality is love has to take on expression for joy to be complete in our lives. You don't lack joy because you owe money on a a car or a house. You don't lack joy because you don't have money. You You don't lack joy because of any of those reasons we lack joy because we've not remained in His love. God wants us to have joy. You know, there are churches like the First Church of the Depressed. Uh, you know, <laughs> that, 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 that some churches believe if you're happy in church that you're being dishonoring and disrespectful to God. I think it's just the opposite. I think churches that giggle a lot and smile a lot, happy a lot, I think those are churches alive with the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Second Church of the Sober, I mean, I'm telling you, the brokenhearted, you know, those are not celebratory of God's proactive offensive love. When God touches a life and His love touches us really to the core of our being, it changes everything about us. goes on to say, my command is this. So what did He say up here? He said, if you obey the commands and remain in love... So here's the command. My command is this. Now we would think there would, you know, we think about this. We think about, okay, I, I, I don't need to smoke, drink, cuss, chew, date women who do. I mean, you all of those things. We start thinking about I go to the movies, play pool, play cards. The queen is evil. One of the queens I've been told in the deck is evil. Haven't found her yet. But you grew up with all these rules and regulations that you've had to deal with in your life, thinking that if I don't do these things, then God is not going to be happy with me. I'm going to let God down. You can't let God down because you're not holding God up. You see, God loves us. That's why he sent Jesus. So it says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now, let me just tell you, I can do a lot of pharisaical things. I, I really can. I'm a pretty good guy. But when you tell me to love each other, come on, there are people you just don't want to love. Am I right? Am I the only one that feels this way? There are just people you want to reach out and slap every now and then. I'm not saying you should. It's called assault and battery. 
But, but if we're honest with ourselves, because we should be, because God sees our hearts anyway, so if you're honest with God, what I have learned is be honest, be authentic. It doesn't mean that you're not being real or in faith. It simply means, God, I'm dealing with this issue right now. And I, right now, I'm just not loving that person. And God goes, I know, I see your heart. You're hoping I drop a boulder on their car driving down the highway. I'm trying. <laughs> Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Now, the resurrection is oftentimes talked about simply and solely in the context of what happened 2,000 years ago. Astonishing as it is that one man would die and he would prophesy not only his death, but he would prophesy the days to come after his death. So we talk about Christ, the cross, the tomb, and the empty tomb because he's resurrected. And we applaud that. And truly, it is a fabulous Bible story. But the reality is that the story doesn't stop there. As a matter of fact, that's only the beginning of the story. The resurrection wasn't for us to celebrate what God did for Jesus alone, but to celebrate what God did for us through Jesus. So the resurrection is not confined to a dispensation thousands of years ago, but it's alive in us, or it should be, because we have the resurrection power of God. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Paul said, I first want to know Him in the power of the resurrection, because if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, the Bible says that very Spirit will quicken us as well. That's called resurrection power. And Paul said, I want to know him first in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Because if you know him in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship you have in his suffering will mean very little to you because you will have won the victory through the power of the resurrection. That's why we don't worship suffering. We learn from suffering. Christ learned obedience through the things he suffered. Why? He is a resurrected Savior. Death could not hold him down, and it cannot hold you down. Fear cannot stop you from the things that Jesus died for you to live out. The problem is we're resurrecting things of the flesh instead of things of the Spirit. 9.30 didn't get that one. I saved that for you. Cheers. <laughs> Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Amen. That, after all, is what the Lord's prayer is about. Be it done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, the resurrection didn't just stop 2,000 years ago. It lives on in us. Now the character and nature of God as a follower of Christ lives in us as believers. We have the capacity, the power, and the mandate to do what Jesus did. That's how come he said that, that because he goes to the Father, you'll do more than me. Why? Because we multiplied the efforts of Christ by using his name. He said, whatsoever things you ask in my name, I'll do it. The Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is at the right hand of God 
making intercession. What that literally means is Jesus is standing in the gap. So he says, when you ask something in my name, it hits the heart and mouth of Jesus and goes into the ear of God. He said, I'm speaking on your behalf. So now the resurrection has new meaning because it has an impact, a profound impact on where we live today. I don't just get to go to heaven someday. I get to bring heaven to earth today because of what he did. I don't have to wait to get to heaven and and have joy once I get to heaven. I get to have joy today. You get to have joy today. And when you think about Jesus being raised from the dead, it kind of makes everything else pale in comparison, right? I mean, when God says nothing is impossible, nothing is impossible. I mean, I'm telling you right now, some of us get bent out of shape if the electric bill's overdue. And we think God's going to have a difficult time with that when he raises Jesus from the dead. Oh, please pay that electric bill. You just need to look at that bill and say, you're paid in the name of Jesus because resurrection. But don't jump back on your video game unit. Go get a job. Anyway, so... Some of y'all were happy until I brought up the J-O-B. You see, the very first thing resurrection did was it empowered us. Resurrection immediately, once Jesus rose from the dead, it changed everything in the spiritual atmosphere. You may not have been able to see it with your physical eyes, but with spirit eyes, we know now Satan no longer has authority in our lives. You will always have the influence of sin, but you will not always have the dominion of sin. Because Christ lives in you. We will always experience the residue of sin in our lives. But once you get born again, at your core, the character and nature of God is screaming to get out of us. To come out of us. To behave in such a way that we love each other the way Jesus has loved us. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Now notice it says who, not what. Oftentimes we're looking for the what's in our lives. You know, what what job I have, what job I don't have, what money I have, what money I don't have, what neighborhood I live in, what car I drive. We, We get distracted by the what's, but the reality is it's who shall separate us. And then we take it a step further and and we look at everybody else. Well, they're the who, they're the who in Whoville that's separating me from God. No, you're the who. I'm the who. Who shall separate me from the love of God? You can't separate me, but you know what? I can. By not loving one another. By not loving each other. By not loving you. I can separate myself. That's it. Who can? It's it's who can separate us from the love of God. Paul goes on to ask, shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword... As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, because of the resurrection, we can now be who we were born to be. And oftentimes, we become who our parents want us to become. I had great parents growing up. we were very middle class to lower middle class. My dad was a hard worker. My mom was diligent, good people. But in my mind, I saw their life and, and what we typically do is we emulate what we've seen or been around for a long period of time. 
There's nothing necessarily wrong with that if you're happy with it. I was never happy with it. It was always unsettling to me. Because I knew God had something for me in my life that was bigger than what I had been seeing in my life. And so uh, the reality is there was a temptation for me to simply do what I saw in the people around me. doesn't make the people around me wrong or bad, but you are an individual. God did not die for groups of people. He died for individual people. Each and every one of us have our own individual destiny. Each and every one of us will stand before God individually. My parents will not give an account for how I lived my life or didn't live my life. I alone will give an account for that. And as I was studying for this message, I came across this one quote. It says, somebody once told me the definition of hell. Now, most of us would say, you know, our greatest concern or fear, if we don't know God and resurrection power does not dwell in us, would be, I would be scared to death of going to hell. That's the reason I first got born again. Can I tell you the truth? I didn't get born again because somebody says, God has a plan for your life and a destiny for you. I would have probably said, really? I don't think so. You don't know me. But when someone said, hell is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, I didn't like either one of those. I like to be happy and I don't like to hear people gnash their teeth. So I thought, you know, I don't want to go there. I was one of those guys that transferred into heaven or into Christ or into resurrection Simply because I didn't want to go to hell. So, but this guy says, somebody once told me the definition of hell. On your last day on earth, the person you became will meet the person you could have become. That got my attention. So I began to ask the question, what would that be like for me? Well, when you get born again and you begin to follow Christ and his will for your life, the person that you became will be the same as the person you've become because you have decided to give your life to Jesus. And now you're going to meet yourself and you're going to look like a twin instead of a distant cousin because who you became was the person you were supposed to become. If I had not listened to God and gotten born again and given my life not just to Him for heaven's sake, but given my life to Him so that heaven could come to earth in my life and I could live this resurrected life... I would be two different people. And on the last day on earth, you don't want to meet the person you would have become if it's not the same person you became. And you have the power to be that person. You know, some of you came in here carrying other people's offense. Some of you came in here thinking what other people think. You haven't had an original thought in your life in a long time because you want people to like you so desperately that you ask them how you ought to think without asking it just that way. There were people who didn't think I should have come back to this city and started a church. But I'm not going to stand before those people. I'm going to stand before Jesus and he's the one that said, come back. If some of you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google my name. It will make for a real tabloid afternoon. And I stand up here with a smile on my face and my shoulders held back, not because I think I'm somebody, but I know the somebody who died for me and resurrected for me so that everything in my life could be brought back to life. I decided that I, I love you, respect you, but I'm going to live for Jesus. 
I'm going to do whatever he says to do. And, and you know what? When you do that, something happens in your life that you say, I can love in the midst of criticism. I can love in the midst of all of this. It doesn't matter to me. The second thing that happened on the resurrection is fear was calm, uh, apprehended or it was removed. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So the opposite of fear, the very first thing God says, I give you in place of fear, is love. So if you wonder why you're living a life of fear, it may be because you're living a life that lacks love. And not love from other people, but love coming out of you. You see, your life is not determined by what other people think about you, whether they like you or love you or not. It's determined by your love for God and your love for them. Jesus said, remain in love. Love each other. I've not given you a spirit of fear, but love, power, and sound mind. And so if you want joy to be complete in your life and you want to keep joy, it's not because of the good circumstances and the people that like you and how wonderful you are and you have 1,322 friends. Who cares? Some of you, your whole, your whole life and your whole emotional well-being is made up by how many followers you have on Facebook. How many friends you have and how many Twitter people tweet, tweet. You know, more, you, you know more people that are following you than you do Bible verses. <laughs> and none of that's going to help you at all when you go and you stand before you. I had 4,822 followers, Jesus. Friends, friends. They were my friends. They all think I'm wonderful. No, they don't. They just snooping. It's soap opera on iPad. Don't be mean. <laughs> Greatest fear is in many people's lives is, you know, we all live in neighborhoods or somewhere around us there are people. I live in a neighborhood, and I only know one of my neighbors. And as I was thinking through this morning, I'm up praying, I'm thinking, this is terrible. I've been here about eight months. I know one neighbor next to me. That's it. Everybody comes in their house. Everybody goes out, they get in cars, and they act like somebody's after them. <laughs> Hurry up and put the garage door down, honey, before we get out of the car. We don't want our neighbors coming over here, and they close their blinds, and we all live in caves. <laughs> That's called defensive love. <laughs> and I got to thinking about it. Why is it? Because we're so afraid. What somebody might think if we went to invite them to church or talk to them in a different religion, they're not going to like it. Fear consumes us, and fear holds us back from living a creative life, a wonderful life. You know, I mean, this time last year, we were Noah's, and I'm, it was our second service, and I'm preaching under chiffon. I, <laughs> I had to go get an injection of testosterone about once a month because those chiffon things were estrogen-driven. It's like... I'm just glad. I told him we moved in here. Keep everything industrial and steel. <laughs> we don't want any foo-foo at Mosaic Church. I know one day I'm going to walk in. They're going to have chiffon draped all over the lobby. Just Okay, it is what it is. Proactive love has no fear. Now I've got to tell you all, I... As a pastor, the worst thing about my job, if some of you think it's maybe something different than what, you know, I saw this video of a, a shepherd herding sheep. I think I shared it maybe. It was on my timeline. And it shows a sheep butting the shepherd and kicking him and everything. 
feels like that sometimes. Anyway, so I, I got a call yesterday from my cousin, and, and we grew up together, and she and her sister are my first cousins, and, and um, she said that my cousin Belinda is in the hospital down here in Oklahoma City. Well, she's from Tulsa area. And she said, you know, I just calling or direct messaging me actually to ask me to, if I would pray for Belinda. And I said, well, sure I would. But I began to feel, as I'm preaching this offensive love, a proactive love, that I really needed to go see her. And so uh, I, I could get sued for this, I suppose. But I went to OU Medical Center. Even Siri couldn't find the room. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, they need a map of that hospital. I was going into places. I walked into a surgery room. They were cutting on somebody. I just walked right in. I'm just kidding. It was that bad, though. If I was going through staff, I was lost. I didn't know what to do. Every door I went to, it said staff only. I'm in a hallway not knowing how I can get out of this place now. I'm going to get arrested. Every door, staff only. How do I get out of here? I finally found someone who worked there. She couldn't tell me. I don't know. You see that green wall down there? Walk toward that. Green means go. I went down there. It got scary. I mean, there wasn't anybody in the hallways. I thought I was in hell. This is hell. Nobody here. I'm in a hospital. There's nobody here to help me. I could have passed out, had cardiac arrest, and laid there for a week. Finally, after the third person, I went and said, can you help me find room 260? Well, I think it's out to the left and then another left. I'm which left? Third left, first left, 28th left? There are all these hallways and y'all don't have them marked. I needed counseling at the end of that experience. I was scared. <laughs> I finally found room 260. I didn't know if it was my cousin or not. I was just going to go in and pray. First person I saw in the bed, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Hadn't seen her in so long, wouldn't have known anyway. <laughs> was this open when I got it? So I, I go in the room, sure enough, it's my cousin, I'm talking to her, and you know, you say funny things when God gets a hold of you. I'm asking all the right questions and all the spiritual stuff, and why I thought I was just going to go pray for her, and she's precious, she's 64, and, and uh, she's always been sweet, real wonderful demeanor, and she even did that yesterday, and I, I'm standing there, and and all of a sudden, I, I, I got to tell you guys, my home is my refuge. It is, it is my man cave, and I'm the only one lives there. There's no estrogen in my house. It's just me. It's full of testosterone. I got steel stuff everywhere. And I've got extra bedrooms, only in America. <laughs> only in America. Try to find a one-bedroom house. You just can't find them. You can get a one-bedroom apartment, but I ain't living stacked up. 
I'm too old to listen to some young punk listening to rock and roll below me. I go down and kill him. You lose your pastor. <laughs> when I go to bed, I want it quiet. <laughs> and I'm not going to go down, hi, I'm a Christian. You want to come to church with me? Or shut your music off. <laughs> In the name of God. So I'm standing there. I thought, I'm just going to pray for her. And then the Holy Spirit said, ask her what, what she's going to do. She's got radiation treatment to, to finish. I said, where, where are you doing that? She said, here in Oklahoma City. Well, it'd take her two hours to drive here from her house in, in Tulsa. So I just opened my mouth, and, and God came out. <laughs> you ever done that? What am I saying? <laughs> Felt like the donkey in the Old Testament. I said, well, uh, where's the radiation? She said, here in Oklahoma City. And I, I went, I've got an extra bedroom. <laughs> Man, it came out, and I went, What? <laughs> I look behind me to see who said that. <laughs> because, see, we're all a little afraid of who's coming into our world. What's somebody going to think of me? What was, what's it going to be like? And for the first time, I'm getting ready to preach this offensive love message. And God said, this is offensive love. This is proactive love. Welcoming, welcoming somebody into your home, the most intimate part of your life, which I have never really been that comfortable with. You know, it's just one of my things. And God says, you're going to overcome a lot of things that you've never overcome. Because now you have the power to overcome. Third thing is, conditions changed after the resurrection. All the conditions changed. In other words, we no longer live our lives by the letter of the law. In the Old Testament, they were told what to do, and they had to do it. You had the Ten Commandments. Today, we call them the top ten. That, that's what they had to live their lives by. And they had no help. They didn't have the Holy Spirit. And every year they had the Day of Atonement where they atoned for their sins for the past year. And acknowledged to God, we have sinned. But they couldn't be cleansed because they were only sacrificing an animal. And an animal's blood was not enough to cleanse them. It could only atone for them. That meant on the inside they were not changed. They just were acknowledging the superiority and the deity of God. But after the resurrection, the conditions changed. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So guess what? If Christ is in us, we have fulfilled the law through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The conditions changed. We no longer every year kill an animal and sacrifice it, but every day of our lives we wake up and we think, thank the Lamb of God that was slain for the sins of all mankind. It's already been done. The sacrifice has been made and our sins have been fully paid for. The conditions changed. We no longer live our lives under the shadow of our sin and shame and condemnation. We have been free because whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. And now we can be happy because we have been loved and we can love. Amen. You cannot outsin the cross. You cannot outsin the cross. You know, it's always strange to me how you can go from church to church and all these different churches have uh, different sins that they think are really the big ones. 
breathing in the church I grew up in was a sin. I mean, we couldn't do anything. I, I didn't even want to go to heaven because I was scared to death of God, and I knew he was going to be there. Any of you go to that church? First church of the scared to death? And so I thought, well, I, I, was, I was conflicted because I, I didn't want to go to hell, but, but then I thought, if God's as mad as my church says he is, it ain't going to be a good eternity. We're all in for a spanking. God was going to get his little God paddle out. <laughs> when you go to the gates, I'm going to let you in. But pow, okay, go. Enjoy, not. So, when I got born again, the resurrection power of God comes into my life. And whoever the sun sets free is free indeed. Now, all of a sudden, I began to see something. That every time sin seemed to increase, grace seemed to increase more. Now, that doesn't always happen amongst people, but think about it. What it's like when you go to someone, you look and say, I want to ask you to forgive me. And they look at you and say, I forgave you before I ever left my house this morning. That kind of offensive love can be offensive when you go, but I don't deserve it. And that's what I'll be talking about next week, an uncommon type of love. Offensive love is uncommon. And the reason we don't understand the love of God oftentimes is because we've not experienced the love of God. And you know what? It usually begins with us. We self-condemn more than we condemn. We actually self-condemn ourselves. It would have easy, been easy for me to climb into a hole, disappear, and never see you all again. That, that would have been to my flesh, but to my spirit it would have meant death. And it would have minimized the power of the cross. Every time we think our sin is so great that it overshadows the cross, it makes a mockery of the work of God. There's not one thing that you've done that overshadows what he did. And you have to move beyond those things in your life. I no longer call you servants, Jesus said, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. In other words, Jesus says, I'm letting you in on the secrets of heaven. I'm letting you in on what the father has for you. Many people don't come to Christ because they're afraid they will be rejected by Christ. I was afraid that, there, that God could not accept a person like me. In 1977, a person who had been addicted to drugs and, and early on alcoholism, I, I couldn't, couldn't see that. God could accept someone like me because in the church I grew up in, if you played cards, in, in, if you played pool, which I have a pool table in my house just to defy the devil. I'm playing pool. You see, he said, remain in my love and your joy will be complete. How do we do that? Well, it says, Proverbs 25, 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. Women, just go ahead and feed him. High cholesterol. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing so, this will heat burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Why? For loving someone who is 
unlovable. You see, you can never sin beyond your call. Because the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Whatever it is that God put in you when you were born, conceived, growing in your mother's womb, whatever that is that God put in you remains in you. He says, I will never take out of you the destiny I put in your DNA. I will never remove that from you. And so now, if you don't live that destiny, and you don't honor that destiny and, that, and that what God put in you, the person that you became will not be the person you could have become. You see, when God changed the conditions, He also removed the excuses that we have for not doing His will. God changed the conditions. And that's how come we celebrate today, not just because it's so unbelievable that a man who had been dead three days could come back to life and still have his mind, and he's still vibrant, and he's just like he was before he left. That's supernatural. But what's really supernatural is that God could take us, people like us, and say, I'm going to do the same thing for you that I did for my son. I'm resurrecting broken hearts, broken dreams, broken lives, broken hope. I am resurrecting those things that are of value and importance to you. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. In other words, God gave the law and said, okay, go ahead. Let the offense abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then God dares to do this. He creates a community of believers. The resurrection gave us an opportunity. Love this. All the racial tension that our country's experienced in around the world is a result of fear. Somebody looks different than me. Somebody thinks different than me. It's fear. And that fear has manifested itself in a very ugly way. But the reality is this. Through the resurrection, it doesn't matter if you're short or tall, black or white, metabolism challenged or skinny. Not going to drop the F-bomb today. <laughs> we are a community of believers because of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you today that the resurrection still means something. It's not just a moment in history that we celebrate, but history coming into the present, infused in the soul and heart of people who believe. Lord, my prayer today is that those who came to this place are either followers or those who want to become followers. Lord, we'll love them just the same if they don't, but God, they won't love themselves. And we know we can't love our neighbor if we don't love ourselves. So Lord, I pray today as I pray this prayer that all who are lost and searching would find hope in you today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, please no moving around. Just take a very, very short moment here. If you came to this Resurrection Sunday and you're not a believer, I'm so glad that you came and I'm so glad that you considered God today. That's why you're here. You factored God in today. But you know, the Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that we are called to not be ashamed of Him. I've been challenged from the day I got born again to now 
It's not a one-time deal where you just say, you know, it's gonna, this decision is going to change everything forever. It changes your potential forever. Every day I have to get up, and every day I have to forgive, and every day I have to be forgiven. And I've learned that all of us need that. You're not strange. If you have never accepted Christ, you're human. But today that can change. And I want to pray for those of you that would say today, I'm tired of living life my way. I'm tired of the results of living life my way. Today, I want to call on that name. Man, when I first gave my life to Jesus, I thought it was after that it was about my performance. I kept continuing to try to perform well for God. But in my heart, I knew that God just wanted me to love Him and to be loved by Him. And once I fell in truly in love with Him, I no longer worried about the letter of the law because the Spirit had brought life to me. And that Spirit, the Holy Spirit, wants to bring life to you today. And so if you'd say, I've never made Jesus the Lord of my life, I want to pray for you right now with heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you and you say, man, today I want to become a follower on this Resurrection Sunday 2017, with heads bowed and eyes closed, and those of you watching online, this goes for you too. You don't have to be here. You can pray with us in just a moment. But in this place right now, if that's you, I want to ask you to slip your hand up and put it right back down as acknowledgement. I need Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Are there others? Thank you. Over to my right. Thank you. Over to my right. Thank you. So many of you. Thank you. Now let's all pray this prayer together with all these who lifted their hands. It's, it's, man, it's a wonderful prayer to pray. Say, thank you, God, for sending your only son to die on the cross for my sins. Jesus, thank you for willingly dying for me. Today I repent of my sin. I call on your name. I'm a born-again Christian. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, church. Those of you online, welcome to the kingdom of God.